Hello, and welcome to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. This week's guest on In Her Room is Lori Shear. From silver screen to silver shores, Lori Shear has done it all. A seasoned development executive and former head of programming for a major broadcasting network, her experience brings a vast treasure of knowledge. She now teaches at UW-Madison and runs the Writers' Institute, a premier writing conference for those serious about advancing their craft. Lori, it is so great to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so excited to have you on the show because I think you bring a really unique perspective uh, that we haven't had on the show before. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you about your past in the media um, as far as your time in Hollywood and the work that you're doing now and just all of the great things that you bring to writing and to the writing world. But to start off, I'd love to know, what is writing to you? Writing is uh, pure communication. It's a way to to communicate and keep uh, stay alive, to keep all of us alive, both uh, myself as a writer and uh, writing for people and for people who are reading and writing for me also. Mm-hmm. You've worked on sort of both sides of Hollywood, both in the trenches, um, working on scripts, working on shows, being a producer, uh, you worked for the WE channel, which is the Women's Entertainment Channel, as well as m- many other broadcast stations. But you also have worked outside the media and seen it from both perspectives. How is that for you when you're working with manuscripts, having both an inside and an outside perspective? I think it really is an advantage because I'm able to know what uh, the insiders are are uh, looking for. I certainly don't know what each production company or publisher or studio is looking for, but I but I do know the basic elements of what they need to have in a manuscript or script or a short story or a piece of poetry um, in order to even be in the ballpark. So having been on the other side, um, there is a, there's a certain level doesn't have to be brilliance, but there is a certain level of, of professionalism that needs to be presented and submitted. And I definitely know what that is. And then on, in addition to that, I know what those particular companies are anticipating just by the basis of, of how media is put together. One of the things that you do is you offer something called the writer's advantage. You have both a book of the same title, as well as a script and manuscript development service. I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about what that process is. The process is that uh, it's working with the writer at three different times, essentially, it can help a writer. First, it can help a writer as they are gathering information for their next manuscript or script. Or it can help a writer when they're in the middle of that project and completely stuck, having no idea where to go. They've hit a roadblock. Or it can help them at the end of 
that journey where they've been submitting the manuscript or script and consistently receiving um, rejections and feedback that um, they have no idea what to what to do with. So what I found is that when working with writers, they really don't have a clue as to what to anticipate once that manuscript or script is going to go through those those wonderful passages of development and on editors' desks. And what are those what are those individuals looking for? And through my book, I begin to illustrate, I begin to hold the hand of the writer and show them why their particular idea may or may not be something that is viable. And so that's how that's how I use the the writer's advantage is to help the writer even before it's certainly before they spend five months, five years of their life on a project and it's just not gonna go anywhere because there is another project that's out there right now that's similar or they do not they have not developed it enough um, or it's just it's just something that is not going to be uh, something the marketplace would be looking for so to save them that that time to save them the heartache to save them the confusion I, I feel that the writer's advantage helps them understand from an intelligent point of view why their project will either work or not work within the marketplace. Hopefully what we're, what we're doing is um, will help them get their project sold. I'd love it if you might read from the beginning of your book, The Writer's Advantage. Okay, probably one of the best uh, passages just at the, at the beginning is, is, uh, is this. We've arrived at a time when mass media is not so mass any longer. With so many ways to access and enjoy information and entertainment, the multitasking consumer only has time to comprehend a fraction of a text. It is rare that we consume a book or a movie or a television series in its entirety, and I mean entirety, and if we do, we are usually marathon reading or binge watching these texts. This leads to a great deal of miscommunication among consumers who may say, yeah, sure, I know about that show, Mad Men, within a conversation, but they may have only watched it once or twice. Or, I saw the latest Iron Man movie. However, during the movie, they texted with their about-to-be ex-girlfriend throughout the entire second half of the film, so they lost the major elements of the storyline overall, and they really don't know anything about what happened in the film Iron Man. We now exist in a culture of missed opportunities due to distractions, multitaskings, and the convenience of advancing technology. Awareness of this is important because consumers are confused and overloaded. They think they may know of a text from popular culture, but they probably know very little about that text. And writers dangerously set out to write within their genre, having only a fraction of the knowledge of that genre before and when they are writing their work. Writers then go out into the world naively, selling mediocre and non-authentic material. In addition, those who choose material to be published and produced 
those are development departments and execs and editors and producers, are also following along these lines. And the result is what we currently see on the best-selling lists at the box office and on TV. And that is a preponderance of sequels, prequels, remakes, and reboots. Where are the original ideas? What we have is a group of writers and publishing entertainment execs who are mere followers. We need innovative writers who arm themselves with information. They know complete texts within their genre and eventually find their own voice and their own authentic texts. We need story innovators. So that's my, my beginning, and then I, I dive into how you can be a story innovator by going through many of the examples that I have by reading the chapters and, and going through the examples, um, the case studies that I have within what I call the toolbox, um, the toolkit sandboxes, sorry, the toolkit sandboxes. So little sandboxes where you can have some fun. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And part of the work involved in the writer's advantage, which isn't just for folks interested in writing scripts or screenplays, is mastering your genre, really becoming clear about the work that you're doing and what you're writing. And I'd love to know your thoughts on what it actually means to master your genre. It means that it takes a little bit of time, but not that much time. Um, Recently, one of my students in a, in a recent class, we were discussing about the research that one needs to do. Uh, and she mentioned, how about the word exploration? And um, her name is Shauna, and she's a teacher in Idaho. So I want to give her credit um, because it's true. It's the exploration. It's, it's finding out what has happened in your genre previously and how that genre has been accepted. For instance, um, what comes to mind are romantic comedies. If you're writing a romantic comedy right now, um, you would need to know pretty much those basic, classic, iconic romantic comedies such as Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail and When Harry Met Sally. And yes, those are older, but they are basic romantic comedies. They don't work any longer, um, but you would find that out by doing all that research. What, how were romantic comedies handled way back even in the 40s and the 50s. The ones I mentioned are from the 80s and 90s. Um, but recently, we've had a few romantic comedies that have not been that popular because there's been a shift in the way people date. And actually, there's a new romantic comedy on the horizon called Trainwreck, the Amy Schumer one. And they're actually selling it as not your mother's romantic comedy. And that's exactly what I, what I say by knowing what's happening to your genre. I'm curious to see what, what that particular movie does to this genre. And it definitely needs um, some sort of authentic spin on it. And this may be uh, the film that does that. For instance, Westerns right now. Westerns aren't doing very well. We need someone to understand the basic traits and the history of westerns and bring that to us in their own authentic way so it's research it's exploration it's knowing what your genre has done and then you master that to the point 
that you turn around and put your spin on it. And then you have your own authentic text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a little bit of work, but I, it will guarantee that you will be able to defend your work when you're pitching, because then if someone says, have you seen this or do you know this, you are going to be aware of it. And that shows that you really do know your, your genre. So it, it, it gives you that opportunity to have the knowledge to arm yourself and at the same time um, put your own spin on it so that you aren't submitting mediocre or stuff that's just been seen a million times. There's, we don't need that. Nobody needs that. They want something new. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I think the same holds um, whether you're working in Hollywood or whether you're pitching to a literary journal or a magazine. Publishers and producers want innovation. And I think that's so important for us to remember because when I think about, for me and my experience, writing creative nonfiction there are a hundred memoirs being pitched every day. What's going to make it stand out? What's going to make it be different? Because those are the scripts and the manuscripts that are going to be picked up. And someone's going to say, I want to see this through. Right. And you've heard that a million times and you're really, really smart in knowing that because memoir is oversaturated right now. But that doesn't mean, that does not mean that a, a new memoir and newer and other memoirs can't appear on the scene that have something new or different to add. Never stop. Um, you know, when you say, oh, oh, I shouldn't, nobody needs another memoir about fill in the blank. Right. That's where we start to get into the fear of success. Um, you don't, you know, don't listen to that voice. Your voice and your memoir is authentic and as valid and as real as any of the others. If Cheryl Strait had said that about her book, Wild, about her mother's passing and hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, and if she would have said, oh, who needs another memoir, that would be really bad because that particular memoir has really, really changed a lot of people's lives. So don't, don't stop. Exactly. I love the way that uh, Cheryl talks about the book. Uh, I heard her speak at the University of Wisconsin-Madison uh, about a year ago, and she actually answered a question about someone saying, well, isn't your book kind of a lot like Eat, Pray, Love? Which is currently getting ready to celebrate its 10th anniversary of being published. And she said, no, my book is nothing like Eat, Pray, Love. Just because I went on an adventure uh, by myself doesn't mean that these books are parallel because it's the innovation and the way that almost 10 years after that book was published, she came up with a story and wrote in a genre that was sort of at the time, I think, really accused of navel gazing a lot um, and really took that that task of innovating and coming up with something new. I don't see those two books as being alike at all. Yeah, I agree. I don't. <laughs> They're completely different. One is a journey of a divorce and, and the other is, is a very different story of a mother's passing and a life uh, relation, more relationships, dealing with relationships and finding yourself. 
I mean, they're both memoirs, and they're both women finding themselves, but I think it ends at about there. I, I would agree. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned the fear of success, which is something that you speak on publicly and teach teach in your workshops. I'd love it if you could elaborate on what actually the fear of success is and how we can look at ways to combat that. The fear of success happens, I see it so often. I see so many talented writers who are writing brilliant, amazing manuscripts that are on par with individuals who are, rep- are represented by some of the top agents or the top publishers, and they don't realize it, but um, they find a way to sabotage their, their, their work. And um, there's fear of success on a, on a minor level that we as humans and writers, we all have, and those, those are those questions or those things that we say to ourselves when it's like, oh, my writing sucks, or... You spend three hours writing and you look at it and go, oh, gosh, that's awful. I mean, we all do that. We all do that. That's just normal. Um, I, 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 I know I'm generalizing, but I, I really have never met, almost never have met a writer that is so confident about their writing. I don't know what it is about writers, but they just, they're just not as confident as some of the other kinds of artists that I know, um, graphic artists and musicians and such. Um, so that kind of talk comes into play, but more than, more often it's working with a writer, they've, they've, they're pretty close to their manuscript being ready to go. It's maybe just, you know, as if I'm working on a critique or in an editing process, um, in an editing, um, manner, and I'll say, yeah, you just need to maybe add a little more comedy towards the end of the last two, a little comic relief, very minor little thing that has to be done. And, and, um, and it would take the writer maybe, maybe an afternoon. I, I, I can't imagine it would take longer than that. And I want to preface that I've seen this with professional writers and I've seen this with writers who are on the brink of being pr- produced or published. And it will be like a week later and nothing's happened. And then two weeks later pass and I'm like, Oh, did you get to that? Did you get, did you remember we were just going to kind of polish a little and they'd be, no, I didn't have time. I didn't get to it. And you realize they have a fear of success. They don't do it. And the reason is because their life is going to change. They know, they know instinctively that that manuscript is ready to go. But they won't make that change because, oh my gosh, life is going to change. And you know what? It is. (laughs) But isn't that why you're writing that script or that manuscript? You want to get published. You want to get your work out there. And yes, at that point, you will be getting calls from, um, you know, individuals to do interviews or blogs, uh, guest blogs or continue to have to write more for your own website. Yes, your life is going to change, but then why are you writing? (laughs) Why are you, why did you spend all this time on this manuscript in the first place? So the fear of success happens. People, the writers sabotage themselves and I see it over and over and over. And I, I just wish that of course it's not my choice and I cannot make someone do something but I would like to just scream at them and go, do you realize your writing is as good as, and, you know, fill in the blank of top, 
best-selling New York Times writers. And if, if you would just do this, you're, you're there. Um, but you can't make someone do something they don't want to do. So next time you have that doubt or next time you're just not sure, um, it's probably a little bit of this fear of success that's, that's sort of seeping in and just get rid of that voice and continue, finish that manuscript, get that first draft written. It can be the world's worst first draft, but get it written. And then you've got something to work on. Do not rewrite the first tr three chapters over and over and over. That's fear of success too. So sabotaging, don't, don't do this. Move forward, keep writing forward. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's, and I, I have a million other examples. I mean, people can be working, suddenly their husband gets transferred and, oh, yeah, we have to move now. Um, and I just don't have time for my writing anymore. And it's like the best manuscript I've read, like, in six months. Oh, my God, it's going to go nowhere. But, again, I can't say anything. That's that person's choice. So. Yeah, and I think it's hard because we may not always recognize that that's why we're procrastinating or why we put a project on a shelf. Um, but it's true, even, even when we are doing the smallest thing, right? We finish something, but we don't take the next step. Maybe it's we don't hire an editor or we decide we, oh, you know, I, I just, I'm tired of that story. Yeah. You know, that those are some of the same uh, things, some of the ways that we stop ourselves and uh, get in our own way when it comes to actually succeeding with our writing. Right, right. I, I also see it, a little bit of fear of success is when people consistently submit their work uh, for contests. And I, and I mean, I, I don't have any... I, I don't have anything against submitting them for contests. That's okay. But if that's all you do, and then they're satisfied with that, they just, oh, well, I submitted it. And you're not really then submitting it also to publishers or editors or agents. You need to do all. So I see a lot of people, what we used to do, we still do, call pikers. And pikers are individuals who are climbing the mountain, but they don't really intend to ever get to the top. They're just going to kind of stay down at base camp pretending that, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll be up there, I'll be up there, but they never do. And that's that energy of sending out to contests constantly. Again, I'm not saying it isn't okay to do that, but do that in addition to the queries to agents, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I see that happen a lot, too, and I, I, I just want to warn people that's not a good thing to do. Don't get into that rut you start to give your work away and you start to get, um, oh, I didn't win that contest, so I guess I'm not very good. So again, fear of success. You know what? The contest wasn't going to get your book published and it wasn't going to get your script produced. You needed to send it to the places where that go that's going to happen. And if they say no to you, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. You've at least made that attempt. You're at least in the ballpark. Contests, you're you're not. So, uh, I, again, I don't want to be misquoted. Certainly okay to do contests, get good feedback, all of that, get some exposure, but continuous to be, uh, 
also continue to submit to those other places that can get your work out into the world at the same time. I want to shift gears a little and spin off on this uh, talk about uh, submitting to agents and editors and querying um, because one of the things that you do is you are the director of the UW-Madison Writers Institute, which is one of the premier writing conferences in the Midwest. And one of the things that's really unique about this conference, uh, which is a full weekend of workshops and critique opportunities and roundtable discussions, but one of the things that it includes is the opportunity to pitch to agents and and even on occasion an editor who might be there. And I'd love to know more about the Writers Institute and why you, this particular uh, facet of the conference is so important. Yeah, great, thanks. It's um, it's an annual event. Next year will be 27 years held in on campus at UW. Um, it, it the the agent part of it is is so important because we bring the agents to you, so you the writer you can certainly ma- uh, write your queries. You could go to pitch fests around the country. You could continue to to submit your work to publishers, all of the above, um, and you should. But we also bring um, anywhere between seven or eight, nine, almost ten agents every year to Madison, and then you can sign up to pitch to them directly. There's also opportunity to attend agent Q&As, where you can ask an agent, just sit there, we, we keep it to a limited amount of 10 people in the room, and you can ask that agent really tough questions, like, you know, why would you, why would you reject a manuscript about whatever, or what what is it that really captures your attention in a manuscript? And they'll tell you. And um, getting that kind of one-on-one information directly from those agents is, is invaluable. Sometimes the agents will uh, conduct their own sessions to have an agent say, this is, this is how you write a query letter, then um, it's, it's just fantastic. We've had agents who will help um, We'll have presentations about how to write log lines. Uh, getting that directly from an agent is great because they're telling you what's going to capture their attention and what isn't, and we can all learn from that. So not only the interaction, the one-on-one interaction, but also the opportunity to pitch. And we have had many, many success stories. If you want a list of the success stories, just go to UW-Madison Writers Institute and website, and you'll see a list of the individuals who have pitched at our conference and have come away not that not that much later. It's usually within a year or two years uh, where they have a publishing deal. And then they come back with their second book or their second idea. And that's what we like. So that's what we bring to you. I love that you talk about the value of actually being in front of an agent um, or an editor because all too often, I think... As writers, you know, there's sort of this amorphous demigod of getting an agent, right? And having someone who's going to then take the legwork of pitching to a publisher or helping to get you published. And I think that's really um, important to remember also that, that they're human 
and that being one-on-one with them, they have this vast store of knowledge, but they're also human and we can get rejection after rejection from agents or editors and, and, and feel not only that our work maybe is less than or doubt our own ability, but also it can be really frustrating. And so to be able to sit down with an agent is uh, just such a phenomenal opportunity at a writer's conference. Um, I myself have seen these conversations taking place, these pitch sessions. And um, as someone who works almost exclusively as an editor, it is a fascinating thing to watch an author show up and say, this is my work. This is what I've got. And to get that feedback. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, it, the agents can't do anything without you. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, without you, the writer. I mean, they, they think they, there's this big mystique around them, as you, as you mentioned, and they're working, they're hardworking individuals who are doing their job and they need you. And most writers, it's it's not the, oh, oh, please, Mr. or Mrs. Agent or Miss Agent, please take me. No, it's, I have a terrific manuscript here and we can both make money. I mean, you know, you switch it around um, to the agent at, please, please, please let me be, be, be your agent. I mean, that's where it should be. And um, we, that's what we do. We do our best on Thursday nights at the, Writers Institute to instill that in folks because everybody is afraid, everybody's nervous, and and that's to be understood. Uh, it is like going for a job interview. You do want them to say yes. You you're very excited and and um, you don't know what's going to happen, but it it's they're everybody's doing business. They're just doing their job and they are looking for great stuff. And if you've put together that manuscript or that script and you've done all that work, it's there's something there that they hopefully will uh, will want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to also mention, uh, as part of the Department of Continuing Studies and as one of the writing experts on staff there, you both teach and coordinate continuing learning opportunities for writers. I think sometimes, you know, folks get into a rut of, well, I just have to sit down and write. And we forget that there are so many opportunities like writing conferences or online classes or online workshops for really honing and advancing our craft as writers. And you are creating opportunities for folks to do just that through the Department of Continuing Studies with online writing courses, with writing workshops that folks can take locally here in Madison area. Um, And I'm I would love to hear your thoughts on what it means to take a class online that is about advancing your craft and not just a critique group or a manuscript review. Um, we find that we find that writers rather like the online courses because you can work at your own pace. You can um spend as much time on it or as little time. I mean, I've seen people sign up for creative nonfiction. We have both creative nonfiction one and creative nonfiction two. And it's kind of curious. There's the one kind of writer that will sign up for it 
and it's seven sessions, so you write seven essays just to break it down. I mean, there's more details, but essentially that's what it is. And I've seen folks do that in a week. I mean, they, they, they write the essay, they receive the feedback, they may resubmit it and everything's fine, and then we go to the next one. And they complete it as fast as possible, two, three days. Um, and that's fine. And then I've seen folks take six months uh, eight months to complete those same seven sessions. So it's up to you how long and how long you want or how, what the amount of time is between essays. So that part really, really works for writers, especially for folks that have um, families to attend to and jobs and such. They can, they can work on it late at night, early in the morning, on the weekends, and, um, and, and it's convenient for them. So that and you always have the instructor available to you you can email them at any time and ask a question so it is like having a coach a writing coach that helps you during those seven sessions mm -hmm. during that course and so that's how we find that um folks will complete it and for instance with the creative nonfiction courses they finish them they have essays completed or uh, um, chapters of books, and it's now time to write the book proposal around that nonfiction book, so they'll move to the online book proposal course, and we just see folks moving from one to another to another. It, it works in fiction, it works in poetry, in memoir writing. Uh, they tend to take one and then move to the next, and again, it's, it's on their own time, and Many of those same people will come to our events, to the Writers Institute, as you've mentioned, to our weekend with your novel. It's held in the fall. It's a craft writing conference. And then to the Write by the Lake, which was just held last week. It's held in the summertime. We just spent an entire week writing. So we get to meet some of the folks that we've taught online, and, and that's good, too. It's just one big writing community. And I think that's great because there's it's so important to foster that sense of community. Uh, it's a theme that comes up often on with guests on this show. Uh, writing is inherently a solitary practice. Your butt in your chair working on your work. But to have that sense of community and to reach out to look at who are our mentors, who can help us learn, who can help us advance our own stories. Um, it's such a gift that I think the Department of Continuing Studies offers because it is an incredible collection of courses that are available to anyone with an internet connection. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and that's why we offer it. We find that, you know, we could be working with a, with a writer for two, three years over the course of one or two courses or whatever, and then we meet them, and that's great for us, but it's also great for the writer. We hear over and over when they come to these events, whether it's the one of the three major events that we offer per year, or it's an, a one-day in-person class, and this fall we're going to have eight-week classes uh, about memoir and nonfiction. Um, we find that people come there, and it's it's just this amazing realization that yes there are other people who are alone in their rooms writing just as you just said uh oh that person that person does what i do they put the kids to sleep and 
then they do their writing and you realize, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And that just that realization is worth the price of admission we find. <laughs> so um, it, it's like, oh, there are others like me. And, and hopefully they'll go away with a with the meeting folks in their area and start a critique group or they'll stay online. I know I do this personally with my, my writing friends, but they'll find a writing buddy and everybody checks in every week uh, at the end of the week or on a Sunday and they say, yeah, I got three pages written. No, I only got one page written. But there's an accountability that kind of um, keeps everybody in tow. Some people do that and, and other people, they're not interested in that, but they like the fact that there might be somebody else out there that if they wanted to reach out to them, they could. So it's all part of being this part of this community. Mm, absolutely. I'd love to know the best advice you've ever received. The best, the best advice I've ever received? Yes. Um, <laughs> wow, that's a great question. Um... Mm. Wow, I love that. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some of my 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 mentors and and favorite authors and favorite people. Uh, oh, okay, some good advice. I don't know if it's the best, but it's the one that's coming to mind right now. When I first started in Hollywood, uh, I was just fresh new from uh, graduating undergrad. And in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I, I went directly out to L.A. And I, I didn't, I, I certainly didn't, felt like I didn't fit in with everybody else who had already been in California or had been working in the industry there. And I remember talking to my boss at the time, who was a very generous, wonderful woman who I'm still friends with all these years later. And I said, I said, I, I don't know anything about the business. I, I don't, you know, I, I was, I'm vulnerable. And she said, that's not true. You're from the Midwest. You've watched more television than any of us here. And I'm working at ABC Entertainment, the head of the network at that time. To hear her say that, the head of development, tell me I knew more than she did because I was actually watching TV. That was huge. And that was this moment of realization going, oh, maybe I do know something. And so I would say that that was advice in that don't, don't uh, cut yourself short, you know. You do know stuff, and you, what you do know will be valuable to towards you. Don't um, uh, doubt your, your confidence. And from that moment on, it really did help me with my career as, a, as, a, as an executive in, in Hollywood. So mm. it's a good memory. <laughs> It is. That's also great advice. I think when I think about um, when I think about writing, less about script or screenplay writing, and and for me more about the genres that I work in in creative nonfiction and poetry. But I think it's it crosses the board that um, you know what you know, but sometimes you don't know what you know. Mm-hmm. And you really have to um, take a moment and look at what you're writing about or what you're passionate about or what you think about writing when you're writing other things and, and recognize how much information you actually have, how much you carry with you. 
how smart you really are about X, Y, or Z, whatever it is that's your passion. And I think those are the things that come through when we're writing. Right. Yeah. And it does help to have somebody else point that out to you. It really does help to have somebody around you just say, you know, what are you talking about? Like, you know more about whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and it really does help because you don't realize it yourself. So listen to your peers, listen to your friends, listen to other people. It's okay to ask <laughs> and all of that. I think, I think we, we're too shy or we're afraid or we're afraid of the answer. But um, just, uh, just ask. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think that that's also another thing to, to pay attention to. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm noticing that for me, this is another facet of the fear of success that you talk about, right? If we don't ever ask the questions, if we don't ask those around us, if we don't pay attention to the things that we actually know, then maybe we don't feel a sense that we have to write about them or we could maybe even recognize that we're an expert in something. And so that is also a part of it. When we're not paying attention and we're not writing those stories that we're passionate about, we're also selling ourselves short and not giving ourselves the full opportunity to really succeed at what we want to be doing. Right, right, absolutely. I mean, there is this way that we have to remember that we're writers because we choose to be. We're writers because we choose to write. We're writers because we choose to go down this path and to show up at the desk every single day. And uh, when we make that choice and then we don't follow through with what we're passionate about, we're still selling ourselves short. Yeah, absolutely. And we're writers because we want to communicate. We want to share what we have to say or we want to... Um, bring attention to uh, an important issue or a story about human compassion or even just a a funny little story that will help people bring a smile to people's faces. It doesn't have to be some serious thing either. Just something that communicates and keeps us together, keeps the collective consciousness together. Mm -hmm. That's our purpose. That's what we're here for. That's what writers do. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to give you a chance uh, to share one piece of parting wisdom to anybody who might be listening to this episode. Parting wisdom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You, (laughs) uh, gosh, there's so little that I know. No, um, to, to joke at what we just said, (laughs) (laughs) um, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that if you're prepared if you know, you know, don't feel nervous about what you're doing. If, for, for instance, you're not sure what you're writing about or you're um, stuck in the middle of something that you're writing or you have been pitching and it's not working, I would say don't feel nervous. Get prepared. Know what's going on. If you know your stuff and if you're prepared, you'll feel good about that and you'll be able to, to defend your work and to def- to defend yourself and your brand and what, what you're about. So, you know, don't be lazy. Um, construct that brand, put that all together. You know what you want to say, make sure you have that all in place. And when you do begin to put yourself out there in the marketplace, no one can uh, uh, put any holes through it. 
It's, it's, it, you're armed. It is sealed tight. You're ready to go. You know what you're talking about. It's the people that have that confidence and that passion. And passion is thrown around a lot. But really having the passion and the enthusiasm for what it is that you're writing about and what you want to say. And don't let anybody, anybody strike you down. It's, it's, this is, this is your truth. This is your voice. And stand up for it. Be prepared. Don't feel nervous about it. Mm. Absolutely. Don't have that fear of success. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Or have it and then tell it to shove off. Right, exactly. You can, you can, I mean, we all are, like I said, I mean, that's human, but, but, um, but if you're, if you've done that work, if you've, if you know what you're doing, um, then that shouldn't be there. It's, it's, uh, it's also, if you're a writer, things come naturally to you. I like to always use that example that Paul McCartney cannot stop writing songs. He just can't. He is a songwriter. I mean, he's, he's he probably, like, he's eating breakfast and there's a song in his head. It's just there. And as writers, same thing. There is, there's a sentence in, at the tip of your tongue, literally. There's, a, there's a, a thought that's being, that's just sitting there ready to be written. A conversation, a dialogue, um, a, a, a description of, of a beautiful dress that you plan on wearing to your wedding or whatever it is. That's there. You can't stop it. You're a writer. You have to write. And um, that's that's the way it should be. Some Someone once described this to me when I was very, very frustrated. I was very young and it, it was <laughs> um, lots of dating issues and such. And I just said, oh, I'm going to join the nunnery. Nobody wants me, you know. Um, I'm just going to go and go with some, or even some Buddhist monks, maybe they'll take me, um, you know, because I'm obviously failing at dating and, and, and the, and the dearest friend ever, still a friend of mine said to me, no, no, if you really, really wanted to join that monastery, that passion would be there to do that, whether you're dating or not, <laughs> you know, you, you can't, you can't make excuses. Mm-hmm. You, you know you wanted to join that group or, or do that kind of life. That's not an excuse because something else isn't working. And I feel the same way about writing. You're writing. You cannot stop it. Mm-hmm. It is what you do. And you've got to get that word out there. And again, if it's only for your grandchildren, that's fantastic. Nothing wrong with that. Um, if you're writing for your, uh, your friends or a complete generation, all of that is wonderful. Grandchildren, friends, generation, all good. But you're a writer, so keep writing. Mm, I love that. Yeah. It has been so great to have you on the show today. I feel like we could just keep going. Uh, if listeners want to learn more about you, your work, and the writer's advantage, they can find you at laurieshear.com. Right. And at MediaGoddess213 for Twitter. Perfect. Lori, thank you so much for saying yes and spending this time today. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me and, and, um, you know, keep writing. You are listening to In Her Room, women writers on life, craft, and changing the world. I'm your host, Sarah Blackthorne. I'm so glad you're a part of the In Her Room community. Without listeners like you, the show would not be possible. On our website, in 
her-room.com. You'll find show notes, learn how to work with me, and have an opportunity to contribute financially to keep In Her Room on the air. Next week on In Her Room, we'll talk with writer, mother, and voracious reader, Lindsay Mead. I'm Sarah Blackthorne. Let's tell our stories together.